Good afternoon. The saying goes, I'll believe it when I see it. Can you actually believe all that you see? Should you not believe until you do see? Well, for the disciples, in that dreadful, dark, worst Sabbath of their entire lives, they had to ask that question. Yeah, the evening had passed, and by the evening of the next day, the first day of the week, the room where they gathered was buzzing like a New York City newsroom. Reports were rolling in of gravestones moved, of empty tombs, of burial cloths folded and left alone, actual sightings of Jesus. There they were, gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus, among them, alive. The room suddenly fell silent. Only the thump, thump of their own beating hearts beating faster with excitement, could be heard. At first, the disciples were startled, frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. You know, the awe of that uh, unprecedented moment. I mean, no one had risen from the grave by their own power. Such awe led them to second-guess their natural senses. Look at my hands, my feet. It is I myself, he says. Touch me and see. The gospel writer tells us that they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. Then then Jesus actually eats a piece of broiled fish right before them. I mean, can you imagine the, the person the one on whom you have set all your hopes, who had been killed before your very eyes on a Roman cross, now standing alive right before you. Can you imagine? One of the disciples, Thomas, he wasn't there. Later he arrives. And, And all the others are saying, we have seen the Lord. And he replies, I'll believe it when I see it. A week later, they're all in the house again. Thomas is there too. Again, the doors were locked for fear. And Jesus came and stood among them. And again, he said, peace be with you. Then he looks at Thomas and he says, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. How do we believe in what we have not seen. 
How do we do that? We put our faith in a trusted person's testimony. We, we believe their word, what Thomas could have done. Well, today, in our look into the life of Abram, we're in Genesis 15, and it's a conversation between God and Abram. God most high, the most trusted authority, calls Abram to believe, to have confidence in what he hopes for, and assurance about what he does not see. And I long for us, church, to all be strengthened in a faith like Abraham's that we see in Genesis 15. The main point of this sermon, hope not in what is seen, but in what the sovereign Lord says. Hope not in what is seen, but in what the sovereign Lord says. The passage has two sections. Each of those open with a word from the Lord testifying about himself. So the first point is in verses 1 to 6, I am your shield and great reward. And the second, I am the Lord who brought you out to possess a new land in verses 7 to 21. You'll find those in your bulletin. You can write notes. I hope you will uh, just to take out of here what the Lord puts on your heart. Now, each section, Abram has questions. And in both sections, the Lord graciously answers Abram's concerns. So let's look now at verses 1 to 6. I am your shield and great reward. Chapter 15, it it opens, the very first words are, after this. Now, Abram's just passed successfully through that trial of war and worldly offerings from Genesis 14. And remember, he defeated the alliance of four very powerful kings, and he also refused the offer of King Sodom, the, the financial offer that king, the king of Sodom gave him, wanting no part in Sodom's wickedness. Now, be, because of this, or after this, the Lord's first testimony seems a bit odd, a bit strange. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I mean, Abram just won the war. Why does he need a shield now? He, and he had no need for Sodom's wicked wealth. Why, why would God say, I am your reward? Perhaps it's to remind Abram that it was the Lord who fought that battle. That even though Abram gave away all that he had gained, God is more than enough for him. But Abram's question in verse 2, well, it actually starts as a contrast, doesn't it? But Abram said... It may give us a clue as to why God is saying this. Abram's concern, you see, is his offspring. 
who will inherit his earthly rewards that God has just promised? Well, in chapter 14, Abram calls God the Most High God, the creator of heaven and earth. And here in Genesis 15, he calls him twice Sovereign Lord. It's the only time in Genesis that this title is used for God. Abram wonders why God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, the the sovereign Lord over all, who promised that his offspring will inherit the land, why hasn't he given me a child? If he can do all that, why am I still childless? Not even one child. You know, to be childless in those days, it was a shameful disaster. Think about Abram's situation. What would it matter to have great reward and all the lands if there's no one to pass it down to? Abram's concern you see in verses 1 to 6, is offspring. And God answers his concern in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, to Abram, a second time, you see. And he says, Eliezer will not be your heir, but a son from your own flesh. From your own flesh and blood will be your heir. You know, if Abram goes by what he sees, then this is going to be impossible. Sarai, his wife, is well beyond the age of bearing children. I mean, Abram himself is somewhere between 75 and 86 years old. Last time we saw his age was 75. In the next chapter, he will be 86. But the sovereign Lord takes Abram outside and he tells them to look up at the sky look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them so shall your offspring be have you been in a place at night where you can look out and see the stars no other lights are shining i mean it's it's absolutely stunning to see those stars. I mean, with with zero pollution and no external lights, you can see the arc of the Milky Way galaxy in which our solar system sits, in which the Earth sits, in which you are sitting. It's absolutely amazing. Well, with no electricity in those days, Abram's view of the stars must have been beyond anything we can see now. And God says, so shall your offspring be. Abram's response? Well, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. He trusted what the sovereign Lord, you see, he took God at his word. He can't see children but he sees stars. He can't count a single offspring, but he believes the word of the sovereign Lord. 
God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And look, friends, you didn't see the resurrected Lord in that upper room with the disciples, but you can see millions of Christians who shine like stars in the universe as they hold out the word of life. You may not be able to put your hand into his side, but you can put your faith in his word. He is our shield and very great reward. Look, if, if you've been coming here to EBC for a while, and, and actually I know that many of, of you that are here right now, this is your first time. Some of you, the first time you've ever been in a church. And if you're not a Christian, I, I want you to know that you are most welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. And, and here at EBC, at Erbil Baptist Church, you will hear the Word of God. And I hope that you, like Abram, will also believe the Lord. Take Him at His Word. Now, because as, as verse 6 continues, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I want to talk about that for a moment. God's credit of righteousness, you see, is our hope for forgiveness from God. To, to give credit, it means to put something into your account that was not there before. For those who believe in Jesus, it means that the guilt and shame that, that we have had before our holy God, it is erased, and God credits his righteousness. He puts his righteousness that we didn't have before to our account. You see, Romans 4 talks about these very verses. Romans 4.23, it says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's because when, you see, why is this important? It's because when God created the world, it was very good, including humans. But you see, those first humans and, and everyone since then have turned away from God. We've sinned. Each of us going our own separate way. Sin corrupts everything, including you and me. And our perfectly holy God, being just and good as he is, must judge sin and all people who do sin. And that's you and me. Sin breaks our relationship with God. And though people try really hard to work their way back to God's favor, Romans 3.20 says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Uh, 
not by works of the law, but rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. We realize that we are sinners. And friends, that is bad news. That is very bad news to stand before the creator of the universe guilty. But the good news, the good news is that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. He became the sacrifice so that we could be free. Verse 25 in chapter 4 of Romans says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see, on the cross, Jesus shields us from the wrath of God in judgment. He pays the penalty of sin for all who will believe in him. And in resurrection, he is our great reward. He guarantees our hope to be justified and to be reconciled to God. So in his death and resurrection, Jesus is our shield and our great reward. Now again, you've, you've not... You've not seen the resurrected Lord with your own two eyes. But we have three reliable witnesses that you should believe. One is the empty tomb. They've never been able to find the body of Jesus. Why? Because it's not there. Secondly, you have the testimony of disciples who did see him when he had risen and spoke of that resurrection. Men and women who did not shrink from death, even when they were commanded to turn their back on that testimony. And thirdly, we have God's written word that continues to speak through the ages by the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you've not trusted in Christ, then I call you now to hope for what you do not see with your eyes, but in what the sovereign Lord has said, how he has spoken. For salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want to speak also to you believers out here. I want to call you also to remember that Christ is your shield and great reward. And therefore, listen to him. Find your hope, not in what you see, but in what he says. Why do I say that? Because your walk with Christ may have many ups and downs. Ye you might, maybe you witnessed to Christ yesterday to somebody, but today you've had harsh words with your spouse or your roommate or your children. You have ups and you have downs. Believer, Christ is your shield and great reward. He is the one in whom you can hope, in whom you can have confidence. Don't, don't trust in your own abilities. Trust in his finished work on the cross. And then, now, this doesn't mean you can just kind of sit back and do nothing. No, true faith in Christ leads us, like Pastor Andre said, 
to good works. Faith is always before works, and good works always follow. Paul, James, Hebrews, they all testify that we must walk in the obedience of the faith. For instance, you cannot say, I love God whom I cannot see if you do not love your brothers and sisters whom you can see. Paul says it very clearly here about faith and works in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And even this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You know, Abram received this credit of righteousness because he believed God's promise to give him offspring of his own flesh and blood. But could he possess the land with a single child? Well, when God says there, the very next thing God says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Abram naturally asks the very next question, but sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And that's what leads us to our second point. I am the Lord who brought you out to possess a new land. I mean, think about it. It's been a very long time since the Lord did that, moved him out of, out of Ur. Yeah, Abram moved from to Canaan from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is just south of here, about 700 kilometers. In obedience to God's call, Abram moved when he was about 75 years old. Many years have passed, even since he hit Canaan. And there was that travel to Egypt, you remember, and then back again. And then there was that family conflict and the separation of he, he and Lot. And then there's the victory over these kings of the east. It's been a long time. And still Abram has no land. He's a Bedouin. He's a wandering shepherd on borrowed land, feeding and watering his flocks. He didn't own a single meter of land in Canaan. In fact, even by the time of his death, he will only own one small plot of land. A cave of Machpelah, a gravesite for his family. It's the only thing Abram will own at his death. Abram's wondering, okay, how will I take possession of this land that God is promising after such a long time? And you see, you, you, it makes you wonder. He's in the previous chapter. He defeated King Kedorlaomer in a war, and it gave him all the rights to the land, all the way from the river Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea. He had rights. Yet, because he had no offspring, no one except those three hundred and eighteen in his household. He has no one to occupy the land, no one to manage it. 
You know, occupation is what many here in this land fear about the large numbers of people moving here and militias from other countries around the KRI that are getting established in this land. The fear is that these strong powers, if they win rights to the land, they already have in place the people to possess it. Well, let's, let's consider three observations in God's reply to Abram's question. First, it's that strange sacrifice in verse 9 and 10. You see, God tells Abram to bring all these animals for sacrifice. These, these particular animals, they are, they're, they're the ones that are used typically in sacrifice. And Abram was to cut each one in half and put, its, put them opposite each other, those halves. One of our members was actually, he, he knows about this kind of stuff, uh, and he told me that it, to cut them with a knife like that would take nearly all day long. And God interrupts that sacrifice with this mysterious revelation in verses 12 to 16, where we find our second observation, the revelation. It, it's taken all day, much hard work, to prepare these sacrifices. You see there that the sun is setting And God puts Abram into a deep sleep. Speaks about this thick and dreadful darkness that comes over Abram. You see the mood of this section highlights the deep, dark mystery of this revelation. Abram had asked the question. You can look back there at the question, verse 8. How could he know? How can I know that I will gain possession of the land? And God replies in verse 13, Know for certain that possession of the land will not happen for 400 years. 400 years! I mean, imagine 400 years! What was happening 400 years ago? Well, in in 1623, the first British settlers, a group of Puritan Christians, landed in America and established the first colony 400 years ago this year. That same year, Shah Abbas in Iran, with the help of the Dutch East India Company, took over Baghdad. With the help of, and, and, and what he was doing there was to, to take over from the Ottoman Empire this area. It's 400 years is a very long time. Well, not only will hundreds of years pass, but God says Abram's offspring will not be free Bedouin shepherds. No, they'll be strangers and mistreated slaves under the harsh rule of a foreign nation, which we know from this side of the story is Egypt. Dark and devastating it would have been for Abram to receive such a bad report about his children, his own flesh and blood. But good news follows, doesn't it? 
good news follows. He says that God will rescue them and return them to possess this land of promise. In the next verses, at the, at the very end of the chapter, God says that he will even dispossess ten nations so that Abram's offspring will take possession of the land. Now, you got to know that Moses wrote this, wrote Genesis to the very generation that God brought out of Egypt in the Exodus. But it is, he writes it before they actually take possession of the land. This prophecy to Abram was confirmed by their very lives. These people can testify that indeed the sovereign Lord is their shield and great reward. Now the third observation, the covenant. Verses 17 to 21. The sun now fully set. Stars are beginning to shine through the darkness. And and this strange image appears. It's a smoking fire pot, or or actually what we might know better as a a brick bread oven. You know, the one where they throw the, the bread on the side of the wall. And a blazing torch that appear and pass between those pieces of animals. Now we know because of verse 18, what's going on here is that the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So we can rightly connect that image with God walking between those pieces. You know, the image, the the smoke and the fire are, are very similar to the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led Moses and the people of that generation out of Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, about this, this, this ritual, historic documents actually describe this ritual as a making of a covenant between two, two parties. They would walk or they would pass between the pieces of the animals that are cut in half like this. Symbolically, it is saying, if I fail to perform my side of the covenant, you can do to me what has happened to those animals if I fail to keep my side of the covenant. Now notice, though, only the Lord passes between these animals, not Abram. God is promising with an oath. He's making his word certain for Abram with a covenant, and it doesn't depend on Abram at all. Now, we're not really told how Abram responds to this second answer, but I I think it's safe to say in the way that the story is arranged that Abram responded with the same faith that we saw in verse 6. Abram believed God. He puts his hope not, not in what he sees before him, but in the word of the sovereign Lord, in his covenant promise. And church, I want to call you to hope not in what you see, but in what the sovereign Lord says. That has implications for us, both today 
and for the future. Like Abram, church, hope in God's promise for today. Abram believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. So friends, listen, if the, the righteousness that saves from God's judgment can be yours today. And if you have not trusted in Christ, won't you believe him? Take him at his word. When Abram believed God, he immediately began on a path, a journey with God. As, as chapter 12, verse 4 said, he went as the Lord told him. Obeying God's word is not something you should put off for another day. What you know to do today, do it. Now, we know Abram's obedience wasn't perfect. You know, he had many ups and downs. We remember when he went to Egypt. We're going to see next week that he has another downturn in the next chapter. It's going to be a significant threat to the promise. Abram had ups and downs. But Abram continues to respond to God's word. And God fulfills his promise and his plans through faithful Abram. Christian, I, I guarantee that you will have many ups and downs in your Christian walk. As you seek to obey Christ, you may make some good decisions. You will likely make many bad decisions. Don't be discouraged. Always come back to the Lord who says, I am your shield. Come back to him in repentance. Turn to him in obedience and hope not in what you see, but in what the sovereign Lord says. That's hope for today. We'll also, like Abram, hope in God's promises for tomorrow. That, that, that which is beyond our life right now. Let, I want to think about how this applies to our vision here at EBC. Okay, Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 says to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Now, much of what happens as we seek to disciple other people happens, and it can happen, one-to-one. But when it comes to teaching Jesus' commands about the church, you know, how we are to love one another, how we are be, to be unified together, it really can only truly happen in the context of a local church. Really. And it only happens, friends, if we do this together. This is why our vision at EBC it is to be a biblically ordered and healthy church that we would be growing in unity and love for one another, that we might be a display of God's glory right here in Erbil. We want to influence the other churches around us to do the same. And we want to plant biblically ordered, healthy churches in other languages also. 
in Kurdish and in Arabic and in Urdu and in Farsi and whoever else the Lord happens to bring to us. And friends, that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. We need to grow in faith. As a church here, we need to grow in love. We need to grow in imitating Jesus, being like him. Listen, you, you may not be here long enough to, to see the final goal of what we're seeking to build here. I might not even live long enough to see the final goal that we're seeking to build here. And that's okay. Neither did Abram. He died long before the fulfillment of God's promises to him. But what we do now how we build now, who we are now, the character of Christ that we display now as a local church has direct impact on the goal of this vision. Hoping in God's promises beyond our life is, is, is what we do, that hoping is what we do as, as we think of our eternal destiny also. The Apostle Peter wrote to those who came to faith in Jesus years after the resurrection. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with a, an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, we don't know what the future brings, not, not in the next 400 years, and, and not even in that day when we will walk through death's dark door. But we can be confident on what's on the other side, can't we? We who hope in what our sovereign Lord says, we don't fear death because he has promised to those who believe that we will possess heaven itself. That is our promised land, believer. And he will bring us clothed in white robes of righteousness to himself, to be with him in endless joy. Friends, he himself is our great reward. Church, hope not in what you see, but in what your sovereign Lord says. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you have shown us that you are the fulfillment of that shield and great reward. You, you are the one who has 
fulfilled all the promises of God. In fact, the word says that they are all yes and amen in Christ. Lord, I would pray right now for any here who maybe they're hearing this message for the very first time. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would let that message burn in their hearts. Lord, let that message convict them of sin and of righteousness, of judgment to come. I pray that they will take you at your word. Lord, for, that they will, they will bow the knee, that they will humbly confess and put their faith in Jesus in the death and resurrection that saves them from your judgment. And Lord, for those who have already believed, Lord, I pray that we would not put our trust in other things, even now that we've put our trust in you. Lord, may we always turn back to you. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.